Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Business Black Belts. I'm thrilled today to have Aaron Davis from Firefly Solar on our show. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. Sure. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, So as you know, with Business Black Belts, the whole purpose of our show is to dig into people who are having success in the business world, whether as entrepreneurs or as leaders, and really dig in on what made them successful and what they learned along the way and the principles they can extrapolate from their own story so that other people can learn, while also, for part two, digging in on with that skill set, what you're hoping to do to make a difference in the world. So just to start, uh, I thought maybe you could introduce yourself. You know, who, who is Aaron Davis personally, professionally, and kind of level set for the audience? Sure, yeah. Uh, so Aaron Davis, my name, of course. Um, I'm originally from New Zealand, and I moved to the States uh, back in 2006, um, uh, originally to New York City. I was actually pursuing a career in acting uh, in New York, and that went very modestly, to, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, after a few years, I moved to California in 2014, and that's where I got into the solar business. And um, got into solar sales out there and really enjoyed that. And the company I was with at the time brought me out here to South Carolina to open a branch for them. And so I got that up and running. And then um, shortly after that, got my own company up and running uh, also in 2016. And uh, personally, you know, I um, not to tell you, I'm uh, married, no kids. I have cats and uh, I tend to keep myself pretty busy with business. So I couldn't even tell you what I do on a, on a personal level, uh, you know, relax whenever I can, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, a lot of us are in that boat trying to build businesses, but I know in, sure. in New Zealand, it's a little different. I've heard right in terms of the kind of working to live versus living to work versus the U S or is that difference overplayed here in America? Yeah, no, I think that's probably accurate. You know, I, I feel like I was, still a kid when I left out and, you know, I wasn't that much of a kid. I was 30, but you know, I was through most of my twenties and stuff. So I, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it was just an age thing, but yeah, I definitely didn't work as hard over there as, as what I do here. Um, so I, I, I do think that's, that's probably an accurate uh, generalization for the most part. And now when you talk about the solar market, obviously in broad terms, it's a hot market. I mean, the companies like yours are growing fast. There's, a tremendous amount of opportunity. What's the day-to-day on the ground like? Like how competitive is it? What's the market's appetite? Is it changing with all this you know, supply chain issues? Like how's it going? Um, yeah, it's it's definitely changing. There's a lot going on right now um, that's affecting multiple industries and the solar is certainly not um, exempt from that. Um, you know, the, the inside term, we call it the solar coaster. Um, and I've been in the solar business, like I say, since 2014. That's about eight years, I think. Um, and every about every six months, we get hit with another slap in the face, some sort of legislation or the utility company will change their policies and make it more difficult to work with them. Or per- something will change with permitting or something will happen on a federal level, like the tax credit will be you know, set to expire and then it gets renewed. And so every, every, about every six months, we're dealing with some other curveball Um, And it it does make it very difficult to be in in this space because of that. And a lot of companies fail because of the constant challenges. And and this year, uh, in all my years in solar, this year is set to be the most turbulent 
um, again, there's a lot going on post COVID um, that's affected different industries in different ways. But right now, there's a, a huge, about to be a huge supply chain issue um, because of uh, silicone. A lot of silicone comes from China. And there are, um, there's a specific region in China, I forget which one it is off the top of my head, but um, most of Chinese silicone comes from this one region and they've been, um, you know, found out to have sort of forced child labor going on in a lot of this uh, silicone mining. So uh, they've ceased um, all Chinese silicone imports. And there's uh, a lot of big manufacturers that are now under investigation for circumventing those um, those bans and coming in through other international ports. And so now the U.S. Department of Commerce is threatening a 250% tariff on them that will be back dated retroactively if they get caught. So all of these massive manufacturers um, across the world have basically just said, well, we're not importing anything to America. Um, so we're just at the very front end of that problem right now. So six months from now, supply chain is going to be a huge issue and prices are going to, for the first time and well, no, prices went up back in 2016 because of some tariffs that came out. So they went up a little bit. That was like the first time ever that solar prices had gone up and they're about to go up again. So it's it's a bit of a step backwards, unfortunately. But um, but again, you know, if, if you've been doing it a long time and you understand that this is how the solar coaster works, you just sort of roll with it and adapt and figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at, yeah, eight years, I mean, I... I like I mentioned, I'd love to extrapolate principles that other people can learn from, uh, from your story. You know, what have you learned about weathering the storm? I mean, it, you seem very calm given the fact that it sounds like a pretty intense climate. <laughs> uh, yeah. Somebody else said that to me yesterday. They said something about that. It takes a lot to rattle me. And I'm like, I, this is, I'm just kind of numb to it now. <laughs> you know, um, I, I've rolled with the, with the punches so many times. I'm like, all right, well, here's another one. Let's figure it out. Um, you know, I certainly wasn't this calm uh, a few years ago when things rattled me a lot easier. But now I'm just, you know, through some gray hairs and some wrinkles, I'm like, all right, well, this is just another one. Let's let's figure it out and um, and pivot and, and adapt. Um, you definitely have to be very forward thinking um, and um, just prepared for, for anything. So, for example, you know, we, we're currently licensed and we work in... Uh, South Carolina, where we're based, and our neighboring uh, North Carolina and Georgia states. We're also licensed to Virginia, but our plans to sort of uh, deploy operations up there were kind of delayed, so we haven't really done anything since we got licensed there. But Virginia is a a more solar-friendly state right now because of some various policies um, that they have up there. And so now we're thinking, well, now now is probably a good time to start thinking, uh, you know, trying to go for that low-hanging fruit as far as sales and customers go. Virginia is going to be a little easier to make sales in. So maybe we should start putting more of a focus on that um, so that if things do sort of slow down or dry up in the Carolinas and Georgia, we've got something else going on. So that's kind of, like I say, just being forward thinking and, and, and trying to be as many steps ahead as the, uh, of the curve as you can. Um, that helps sort of remain a little level-headed and, and not panicky, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's also an interesting balance your perspective brings of being sort of both proactive and reactive because your best laid plans are going to have to change, but you've Mm -hmm. got to keep trying to be proactive to stay ahead, even though what actually happens, uh, it it kind of seems like the two are in tension. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how do you think about, um, I know you're in a business where like 
financing and things are a little more complicated, like forecasting demand and hiring. And there's a lot of logistical complexity that doesn't exist in maybe a business like mine that's more of a, a human service business. Um, mm-hmm. How have you learned how to make decisions in that vein? Or is there any advice you'd pass along? Because it seems like it's pretty hard, like just especially in the turbulence. Yeah, it, it is. And I think the, um, the the big thing that's always in the front of my mind is um, if, if you've ever watched uh, um, Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary always says cash is king. Um, and in a business like this, that is extremely true. So cash flow is, is extremely important. So um, with all the other things I have to think about, that's that's always um, at the forefront of my mind. And uh, and making sure that, that we have cash flow to get through. So we have a you know, we've got millions of dollars in, in, in receivables in the pipeline and sales, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have the cash to get through and, and get all those installed um, because the the install process is, you know, can be several months long in some cases. Um, so you've got to be very prudent and very, very careful with how you spend the money, uh, how, you, how you spend your money and that kind of thing, just to make sure you've always got that positive cash flow. Um, so that's something that's very uh, you know, uh, very forward in my mind to be aware of. Um, but you know, the, and so we're a, we're what you call a, a vertically integrated solar company, um, which is kind of rare in the business right now. Um, you know, th- there's, uh, everything's sort of broken off into fractions. You've got, uh, organizations that all they do is sell, uh, and they're not licensed and, um, they can't provide financing for the customer and that kind of thing. They're, they're literally just a sales organization and they might go door to door or they might sell virtually or whatever. Uh, and then they will have uh, an installation company. They call them EPCs. And EPC is um, Engineer, Procure, uh, Construct. So they have a, what they call an EPC, which is a company that just comes in and installs it. And it's that company that can provide the licensing, um, you know, construction licensing, the financing for the customers who need the financing. Um, and so what's very common in the business is those two, those two business types just stick to what they do best and don't kind of try to do both. So we're sort of the, the oddball where we're vertically integrated, where we do it all. So we do sales and installs um, all in-house with no subcontractors and everything like that. Um, so with that kind of model, managing cash flow, I think of it as like a, you know, a, a three, three-legged table where you've got your sales being one leg, your front-end operations being one leg and your back end operations being one one leg. So sales, that's obvious what that is. Front end operations is all the paperwork, getting permitted, getting interconnected with the utility, uh, managing, you know, HOAs and getting that paperwork signed. A lot of that stuff takes a lot of time and there's a lot of backwards and forwards, dealing with pretty unreasonable and unhelpful people. Um, so there's a lot of energy that goes into that. And then once you've got everything squared away, uh, you want to install it then. So then you've got to install in a timely manner. You hope that you've got um, all your, all your ducks in a row so it's a clean and smooth install and there's not complications that you've then got to go back and fix. Um, and so that's that's what's what I call the back-end operations. Uh, so if you have any of those three legs that are you know, not in sync with each other and they're not working together, uh, th- those three things up, you know, uphold that cash flow. So if any of those things are out of balance, you've got a wonky table and you're going to have cash flow problems. So it's a matter of juggling those three things uh, and being really attentive on all those three things and making sure they're all working together uh, in uh, in unison and tandem to make um, to to make things flow smoothly and not get you in a, a bad situation. And it's not easy, you know. It's it's, it's a challenge, a daily challenge. Um, but that's uh, that's what we what we work with. 
Yeah, and I guess a follow-up question too would be, you've obviously had a lot of success. How do you balance chasing more growth with with the risk of it? Like you mentioned in cash flow, because you could easily <clears throat> overstep and like maybe create a setback, whereas you're already sitting pretty good. Like, how do you make that decision of when, when do you slow down the risk taking as an entrepreneur? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I think as, as, as an entrepreneur, I, I'm not sure we're wired to do that. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think it's just part of the, part of the thrill of just continuing on and, and, and striving for, for more and more success. Um, but it's again, it's being forward thinking. So, you know, for example, this year our sales are better than they've ever been, in spite of everything that's going on. Um, like significantly more than than this time last year or any other year uh, for, for Q1, and um, which is great. So we love that. But that's that first leg of that table that's starting to get out of sync with the others. But when a sale is made, like I say, it could be two or three months before it's installed. That gives us time to. Um, be proactive and see those sales coming down the pike and uh, and start addressing our operational potential deficiencies in our operations side of things, front end and back end. So we can start addressing those before those sales get in. And then, uh, of course, when you get to that point, you've, you've scaled up on, on personnel and that kind of thing. When you get to that point, you want to hope that the sales continue in that vein so that you don't then have to lay people off. So then there's that pressure like, all right, sales are at this level. Let's not back off. Otherwise, we'll get all these installs done and then not have any more work for people. So it's just, again, it's just a balancing act really. And then being able to see where you're at and where, where you will be at based on what's happening today in three months from now, you know? Yes. It's a fascinating challenge. Now in terms of managing salespeople, I know a lot of the listeners of this show um, probably struggle with it. Like how do you find the right people? How do you give them the right process? You know, how do you manage getting them, lead flow well, there's so many components of mm-hmm. really being effective in that function and you can't grow a business like you've grown firefly without obviously being really really good at that what two or three tips would you pass on to another business owner about that part of the process yeah great question so um you know as as the business owner and ceo when you start a company from the ground you wear every single hat um so literally everything that is done in this company I have done or still do at some point um, but as you grow and you and you bring on the right people and put the right seat the right people in the right seats on the bus you take off one hat you know at a time and pass it on to somebody else so the one hat that I've still retained that's not really a CEO's job is sales management um, that's so I still do that myself and I would love to have a sales manager and I'll, I'll get one soon enough but it's such a important uh, role that I, I don't want to rush into it. And I'd rather bring up somebody from within the ranks as opposed to hiring from outside if possible. So it's just a, it's just a, a hat that I'm still wearing. Um, and I think the importance of it is understanding that salespeople think and act differently to operational side of people. You know, you've got your left brain, right brain kind of personalities. And you have to understand that. I, I joke with my sales team constantly. I'm like, sales management is like wrangling cats. Um, and if you understand that and accept that for what it is, that'll make it a whole lot easier uh, to deal with frustrations that might come up from time to time. And also to keep building bridges and, and, and maintain the peace between your salespeople and your operational people, you know, because there's such different personality types, there's going to be frustrations there. So you've got to, you know, as a good sales manager, 
will know how to um, sort of mitigate and uh, you know be a good liaison between those two departments. But I think the uh, I think the best thing for a sales manager to be is just extremely supportive of their team. They have to be there 110% for them. Um, they need to pick up the phone at 10 o'clock at night if a salesperson's calling, trying to close up a deal and has a question or something like that. You know, you've got to pick up the phone at 10 o'clock at night if that happens. Um, but they have to know that you're there for them and that you uh, want them to succeed and you're encouraging them to succeed. You're giving them all the tools and resources that you possibly can to help them succeed. Um, and when they feel that support, um, they will uh, they'll they'll respond in kind by bringing in sales, but they'll also stick with you and they'll show you their loyalty and their, um, and their, and their support for the brand as well. Um, I've got a very supportive sales team that, that love the brand. They love Firefly Solar because of what they get from it here, you know? So. Yeah. It's such a funny thing. You, you can't fake culture. Like you either invest in it or you mm-hmm. don't, it's going to show up to your point. Um, yeah. And I, I can't tell you. I, I I think especially in your space, it's kind of one of these YouTube phenomenon ones where you see someone say, you know, you want to make, you know, X number of thousands of dollars a month and start doing solar. And here's my YouTube course. And you kind of get a range <laughs> of probably opportunists because it's a hot area. And I uh-huh. think you're you're so right in that you can't fake the activity. Like if you, Aaron, is sitting at the beach every day and not really in the <laughs> front lines of your people, they will know it. Like right, and they're not right, going to work yeah. harder than you work for them. Yeah, sure. I think it's a, yeah, a really, really good point. Um, now, when you think about your legacy as an entrepreneur, I, I love this question. Um, we all only get so much time on earth, and our business careers are pretty short when you think about it. Um, I'm curious for you, you've already achieved it. feels like maybe more than you even realized you would when you first came across the pond to here. Um, but yeah. what does the next chapter look like? What, what for you do you want to be known by when it's all said and done at Firefly or just in general? Yeah. You, you know, just you know, coming back to what, what you said there about when I first came across the pond, um, when I first came here, 2006, I was 30 years old, uh, or 31, I forget somewhere around there. And I had, uh, two suitcases $1,000 and one week's accommodation booked at a hostel. Um, and that was it. I'm like, all right, let's see if we can make this work. Um, so yeah, you're right. A, a lot has happened and a lot has changed since then. Uh, and, I, and I did make it work, you know, so that's cool. Um, but what I want to leave and what legacy, um, I, you know, I, a big thing for me is I, I would love to leave the solar industry better than I found it. Um, like you said, there's a, you know, a bunch of stuff on YouTube and, and, um, the way it's fractured with the sales orgs and the EPCs, um, it makes for really, uh, muddy waters and a lot of, um, unfortunate homeowners, uh, are left footing the bill for, you know, dishonest or disingenuous, um, salespeople or installers who just did poor work. Uh, it's very underregulated. Uh, some states have certain regulations, but they're not enforced. South Carolina has certain consumer protection um, laws, but uh, most solar companies are not abiding by them, and, and the Consumer Affairs isn't enforcing it. So it is a um, the industry as a whole has a really bad reputation. I think if you look at any um, ad on Facebook or whatever 
where people can comment. You'll see a lot of people commenting scam and blah, 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 blah. And um, it's because a lot of people have been scammed, unfortunately. So I um, I want to leave the, the business in a better place than where it is. I would, I'm, I'm not overly proactive in in politics. Um, well, not at all, to be honest. But, you know, if, if I had the opportunity to meet with attorney generals or whoever to where we could start cleaning up the business on a state-by-state level, require licensing for salespeople, just like real estate has licensing for salespeople, I think that would be a really good thing. Because um, a lot of people come in, treat it like a get-rich-quick scheme. Um, they'll do things like call blitzes where you've got, like, let's go do a blitz in Texas this week, and they'll get all these salespeople from all over the country, 20 or 30 salespeople, they'll put them up in a couple of different Airbnbs, and they'll just blitz a couple of neighborhoods, make 100 deals, leave the area and never hear from them again, and then leave some installer to sort of pick up the bags under their license, their insurance, and everything else. And these people haven't taken the time to learn the local area, uh, how the utility operates with solar customers, all these kinds of things. And all these people are left with um, holding the bag and getting a very bad taste in their mouth about solar. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's really unfortunate because solar is a good thing. Uh, it's good for the planet. Uh, it will save people money if it's done the right way. Um, and so there's a lot of benefits to it. And uh, but, but unfortunately, it has a bad reputation because there's just so little regulation and what regulation there is is not enforced. So I would love to contribute to cleaning up the industry and raising the bar on how people perceive it and people's understanding of um, what it should be versus what it often is, you know, and what they can expect from solar if they if it's done the right way. So, hmm. yeah, almost a crusade a little bit like you really are trying to sure. right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And I had, a, um, you know, just to give you a little history too. I started this company in 2016. We did our first few sales and installs in 2016. And then um, a couple of guys came to me and wanted to partner up. So we started a different company. I left this company on the shelf for a year and got a, a different company up and running with these partners. And it was a very bad partnership. And I could see very uh, quickly that uh, my values were not aligning with their values. And um, so I sold out of that and came back to this one. And um and I'm like, I, I just can't be involved in that. That's not that's not what solar should be. You're doing a terrible job of things. You're hurting people. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess it's a crusade. You know, I sold out of that, came back to this, got this off the shelf, swore I'd never work with partners again. <laughs> and, um, and, and I'm doing the best we can to really do a good job of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting when you talk about values because I think you're right. If, if you make – make the trade-offs to have a value-centered business, the, the profits and revenues and all that follow. Um, but if you try to chase those things short-term, even if you have them, I think it's probably empty success, but it's not sustainable because the world's not dumb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you might make a lot of money in a short amount of time, but but it's, it, like you said, it's not sustainable. And it won't last, you know? And so I'm in it for the long game. I am... Um, not even close to the highest paid person in my organization. Um, you know, I've got, I, I pay good people, good money to do, to do good work. And, and I'm sort of way down the ladder on that. Um, and, but again, I'm in it for the long game. Eventually I'll, I'll make money if I continue to build as I'm building. So, um, it's not about a short term cash grab. It's about doing things the right way and building something that's in it for the long term and sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that patience is really admirable because it- I think you're absolutely right that there's short-term taxi- tactics and there's long-term strategies. And a lot of times uh, the lo- in the long-term, the long-term thinker wins. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious. I know when you and I first connected, you were driving in a truck. So you're still very much hands-on as a leader um, in the day-to-day of Firefly. 
Um, I'm curious for you, do you have time to read, to listen to podcasts like this, to reflect? And, and if so, is there any that you'd recommend other business owners or entrepreneurs um, look to just because they benefited you? Uh, man, I wish I wish that I did have time for that, and I I know it's it's that's a probably a a poor a poor excuse. I think as a CEO, you should probably make time to read and and continue to grow. But um, you know, for the most part, like Mondays through Fridays, it's just go 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 go, and then Saturdays and Sundays, it's working at a more relaxed pace because I don't have my phone and my emails not blowing up, so I'm catching on up and everything that I missed through the week. Um, so. Uh, so I, I really don't make enough time to, to read or listen to podcasts. I think the one, one book I did read recently, which, uh, which I loved, um, it's more about on the sales side of things, but it's, uh, Chris Voss's uh, never split the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, it's, it's about negotiation, that kind of thing. Something I would, uh, something I do want to get into, um, eventually is uh, probably the, when I eventually take off my sales manager cap and pass that on, I want to focus more of my time on looking into acquisitions and that kind of thing and grow the company that way. So, um, so that, that book was, uh, was a, a great book. And I've actually, I, I think I got the, it was the audio book. Yeah. And I've listened to it a couple of times now, cause I think there's some really great principles in there for anyone who's in C in sales or anyone who's a CEO looking to grow a company. I think some really great principles from that book, um, that you can learn from. I love his, uh, like, you know, that, how would that even work or that question in the, in the yeah, thread how, when someone asks you something yeah. that you don't want to do? Yeah. How, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And, and I think to your point, leadership is not cut and dry. So, so some people read a hundred books a year. Some people lead from the front and are, you know, their own sales manager. And I, I think that only you really know what's best for you and for the business. And then anyone who has too much of a, Depending on that, might not be close enough to the details. Um, but I also yeah. did want to ask you um, if anyone wants to ask your advice, if they potentially wanted you know Firefly to do an installation for them on a on a personal level, if they wanted to join your sales team, anything like that, um, is a good way to reach out to you LinkedIn. Like, what are the normal way uh, ways you'd point people to make that kind of request? LinkedIn's probably good. Yeah, I get a ton of spam on LinkedIn. So if somebody wants to connect with me there and, and they leave a message that I can tell it's not just a spam thing, then that would be um, that would probably be ideal. Um, or you can even email our, our company, generic company email, which is hello at firefly.solar. Uh, there's no .com in there just to avoid that confusion. So it's hello at firefly.solar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that, you know, if anything comes through there that needs to get to me, it'll, it'll get to me. Uh, yeah. And I, I think just to, to stress, uh, what Aaron mentioned, if you have a message you want to send him, the more you can make it clear, it's not, you know, trying to sell him something or whatever. I think the better, cause as a fellow CEO, I know you, you get a lot of that <laughs> correspondence every day. Um, every day well, Aaron, from every, from every platform. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, Aaron, it's been a, a privilege having you on, and uh, and really, I Likewise. I admire both your patience and and your morality influencing um, how you do business. So here at Business Black Belts, we're certainly uh, going to be rooting you on and excited to keep watching how things develop. But we we really appreciate you coming on the show today, and look forward to having you back in a couple of years when I've uh, made even more progress. 
Yeah, thanks, Miles. I appreciate that. It's been uh, been my honor. Thank you uh, for asking me to be on the on the show. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.